This is Prolific, the podcast featuring conversations with creative people about what compels them to make the things they do and how they deal with fear, uncertainty, and doubt along the way. I'm Joseph Rooks, the host of the show, and you're listening to the very first episode featuring my good friend Doc Waller, the founder of Docking Company. That's company is in the kind you keep, not the kind you own. Prior to that, Doc also created the web video series On Beauty with Doc Waller, and he also wrote a really great book called Becoming Possible. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you because I think Doc is such a positive and constructive voice of reason when it comes to how we treat others, how we treat ourselves, and how we treat the things we care about. Why don't you tell the people that are listening to the show a little bit about who you are Mm -hmm. and what you're working on right now and sort of where you came from? What's your background? Well, um, my name is Doc Waller, and I'm the founder of Doc & Company, which is a a, a multimedia, what I'm calling culture company. Um, And we are creating a conversation around the ideas and habits of getting good at being human. and, and, and that, that is a ever evolving, changing, morphing kind of mission statement. Um, essentially all we want to do is kind of like take a, take a creative mirror and hold it up against life and hold it up against what it means to be human and what it means to be transparent and what it means to be going through life, um, via the channels of ambition and personal identity. Um, and 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 I've essentially been working on this this project <laughs> since around 2013. Um, and I left I left the professional theater then to to jump into this venture. Um, but that wasn't, it, and that was like the pr- probably the third time I left professional theater. So if, if anyone were to say like what's what's Doc's what stocks background, it would definitely be a, a stage actor. That's, that's kind of where uh, the, the bulk of my career comes from. But, um, you know, I, uh, I, I graduated high school in 99, dropped out of Auburn University uh, the following year, went to the Air Force, spent four years in the Air Force, left the Air Force, went to New York City to study theater. And that was around 2004. So ever since, you know, from 2004 to 2013, it's just been me taking the 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 passion and the aesthetic of theater and trying to place it into other professional realms uh sometimes that was just the stage and sometimes that was actually you know going into universities or doing workshops or creating web series and 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 uh, uh, the probably the largest kind of detour venture um, from that whole passion was creating a nonprofit arts organization called the Layman Group. Tell me a little bit about that. What was that all about? I was in New York and uh, I remember coming home. I, w- I, was, I was walking down. This is going to sound so cliche and so corny. Well, I was, <laughs> I was walking down Broadway because I was exactly walking down Broadway uh, from, from rehearsal one night. Uh, I, was, I was doing choreography and stage management for this theater called City Lights Youth Theater. And uh, I knew because of certain resources, my time in New York was kind of coming to an end. But also I got, I had this really heavy heart about, man, I had to be here to get this done. Like to, 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 to really capture this feeling, to, to, to actually attempt this ambition uh, of of theater and it's not even so much theater but just like to to chase this this thing that had been embedded through me via theater i had to be in new york like alabama was no resource for that like alabama had had no had, had no ability to to address that passion for me at all when you made that leap to go to new york what was that like for you was it a hard thing to do no decisions i decisions i make are never hard mentally. It's it's probably it's a little bit because of how I'm wired, but it's also it's also a little bit because of how I, I practice. It, it, I, I guess I just see the the value and the worth in certain attempts, and it just it just rings true to me on a certain level. And I'm just like, oh, okay, 
the harder decisions in life for me are what font I'm going to use on, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like totally, that's, the totally stuff, that. that's the stuff that drives me crazy. That's the life bending stuff. And I, I wish people could really understand kind of wrap their head around that because like when people, when, when I think about the difficulty of like entrepreneurship, like that's the stuff people think it's like this really kind of like, you know, uh, um, heavenly kind of thing in the clouds and i'm just like no dude it's the day-to-day bullshit that that like the, the little small trinkets that drive people crazy that drives people out of the realm of of entrepreneurship or 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 making things but no it wasn't it wasn't because because i actually left the military to go to new york i had about maybe four or five months left on my military contract to to to, to serve um active duty in the air force and uh they actually let me out early because i got a role in a play at the university of west florida and the author of the play was coming to see it and she was a pulitzer prize winning author and i really wanted to do it and so they gave me the lead role and i had to grow a beard and because i kind of attacked my time in the military a certain way i was i was 100 percent willing to be that brown nosing kid that that kind of pushed being in the buddy system or pushed, you know, being with a lot of the other young airmen and kind of setting itself apart. I kind of built up this, this reputation, um, and, 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 and experience and, um, uh, respect among kind of the higher ups. And so one of the very big wig higher ups did some research and, and, and found a way to let me out of the air force about four months early so I could do that. And then I spent about six, six to seven months in Florida before I left for New York to, uh, I was doing some drumming and dancing for West African dance company there. Um, and while I was doing it, I was literally, uh, doing the application process to study at the Atlantic theater conservatory, uh, in New York, which was William H. Macy and David Mamet's theater conservatory. Maybe my third year in the military, I was planning on doing four years. Maybe my third year, I knew exactly what I was going to do. It, it wasn't even a question. So no, it wasn't difficult because those, those, those big attempts are the easy decisions for me. Those kind of moves for me are the, are, the, are the pitches that the pitcher just throws right down the middle. And I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to hit this one out of the park. That's not, those aren't difficult for me. So the whole beauty of that city, the whole beauty of that opportunity actually kind of made me depressed in, the, in a way that, man, people like me literally have no potential to feel this way if they're, if they're from the hometown I, I'm in, if they're from Auburn, if they're from Opelika, if they're from Alabama, you know? Wow. And that was the root of the organization that you started? Yep. That was why I said, you know what, I'm going to go back down there. And it took me a couple of years to get it off the ground. Um, and, that, and ever since I went back um, in 2005, that was, uh, that was my motive. So everything that I was doing was uh, kind of laying the ground um, uh, for getting that off the ground. And I really didn't start breaking through around 2007, 2008. That was one of the bigger um, chapters of my kind of career. Your involvement from that organization went from then until what period? And then what did you do after that? Until 2012. Um, and so... 2007 to 2008 or 2007 to 2010 um i had been bouncing back and forth from from east alabama to atlanta doing theater doing projects but the whole time just kind of laying the foundation uh for the layman group um which was a lot of paperwork which was a lot of computer work which was a lot of like kind of figuring out what you know how to run a nonprofit boards and all of that kind of thing um and then in 2012, it was a couple of months after our, our last masquerade ball, which was kind of a fundraiser, kind of an annual fundraising event, kind of a, a party for the organization. Um, and it didn't go so well. I had so many of the right people there from the city. You know, if, I, remember, I remember a couple of people that I knew kind of looking around and was like, wow, like you, you really got the right people to come to this. And then the, the actual money that we raised on that event was just, it just didn't hit the mark. It was a wake up call to me that what I was doing over the years really, it wasn't, so, it wasn't missing the mark because we did some amazing things. We really did some amazing things and we, and we affected a lot of people in a positive way. And we, 
but it, it, it just really, it really showed me how many more years I had ahead of me to really get to where I wanted to go. And by that point, I had exhausted myself. I remember the day I decided to, 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 to end the layman group. I was just literally in my, in my home working at my computer at my laptop and I just pushed away from it. I just scooched away from my, the chair away from the table and just broke down in tears. That was when all of the sacrifice and the lonely days and the, and the loneliness and the emails and the fundraising and the creative, like all of it just kind of came down on me. And I was like, okay, I'm done. Literally in 2012, my body was like, okay, you can't take more of this chapter. The book was closed on me. I, I didn't even close the book. It was something that I couldn't help. Is the feeling that you get when you quit something similar to the feeling that you get when you start something or is it completely different? I guess it depends on how big the thing is. In terms of it being similar to how you, no, it's not, it's not similar to how you start. It's a different kind of pain. You're crying because it's over, but you're laughing because you're, you, you start to realize, oh, there's an opportunity for another chapter. This heavy weight is kind of lifted off your shoulders. It's like, oh man, I can, I can move on to something else now. And that's, that's really how it felt. That's when I started uh, really getting more into the media world. Into the, I wouldn't have called myself an entrepreneur before then. I was just an artist. What made that change for you? What made your perspective on that change? Uh, TEDx, TEDx Atlanta. After I closed down the nonprofit in 2012, I started, I started working on creating this web series called On Beauty with Doc Waller. The day I decided to close the layman group, even before I sent out, you know, that email or made that Facebook post to let everybody know, hey, the nonprofit's over. I saw this, this web series called The Conversation with Amanda Decadnay. And she was, I was just like, wow, this is, this is so like kind of creating conversations and letting people speak and, t and touching into the, into the human nature. And, and like, it was closer to the core of what I wanted to do than than the bulk of what I did with the layman group. And so I knew, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what my next chapter was the actual day the layman group closed. Wow. And so the next couple of months, I, uh, I spent some time uh, saving some money, doing some MC work. I emceed for Coca-Cola and I was like emceeing NASCAR events. I would, I would be, I would have this like really awesome Coca-Cola van with like the, these touch screens on it and this microphone. And like, I would set up, set up outside cause I, I set up outside these NASCAR events and, and just kind of promote Coca-Cola and Coca-Cola recycling. And it was just like me being a performer again. I was on stage and it was awesome. So at that point you were at a stage in your life where you could see where the next stage was for you, but you weren't quite ready to get there yet. So you dove back into this other kind of performing work just as a way to kind of get scrappy and build resources that you could pour into that. 100%. Right. You have these toolkits that the theater gives you or, or gave me and I'm like, okay, well, I can do this and let me, I can do this easily. You know what I mean? And I really didn't want to spend my time getting those resources in, in manners in ways that really didn't speak to me. And picking up a microphone and, and being an MC for whatever company really spoke to me. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't that you were passionate about Coca-Cola. Hell no. Or that you were passionate about NASCAR. It yeah. was that you saw an opportunity to take a strength that you already had and right. put it to work to entertain the people that were around you, right? right. Well, and, and not even so much entertain the people around me, entertain the next, next chapter that I would needed to get off the ground, right? It was, it was like this, I was Batman. I was this secret, secret person. This, you know, I, I wasn't real when I was doing that. I just knew that I was going to take that check and I was going to film something with it, period. So it was 100% a resource play. 100%. So I'm, I'm up there like interviewing Tony Stewart and Ryan Newman, and, and all I could think about was like, man, I can't wait to film my first episode. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, and so that's exactly what happened. I, I got about maybe $3,000 under my belt and uh, contacted a couple of my cinematographer friends and did some research on who would be interesting to talk to in the Southeast and did like four episodes in four weeks. And that series kind of caught the eye of people. It, 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 it wasn't, you know, it wasn't big. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't some massive thing. But 
it was well done for where I was in the media world, where I was as a professional. I look back at it now, there are some clips that I'm saying, I say, man, that's beautifully shot. Or like, man, that was a great discussion. And then there's some other clips. I'm just like, what the hell was I thinking about? Like, why would I like this this way? <laughs> or why would I ask this question this way? You know what I mean? But it caught enough, it caught enough eyes. And so the momentum of that got me to speak at certain conferences you spoke at Web Afternoon, I web, remember. Web Afternoon, and uh, and I mean, and it's funny because I'm just like, why am I here? You know what I mean? Like a bunch of designers and coders, and and I started learning about the world of like studios, you know, these designing studios and these branding studios, and where all these like project managers and things like that. I started learning this whole vocabulary, this whole new vocabulary, and these these conferences, you know, needed kind of like an artsy fartsy poet guy to come in. To kind of like, you know, kind of add some flavor to the like, kind of like the techie side. And then I got asked to kind of do the same thing for TEDx Atlanta. That year was kind of like a collection of people that were doing really, really great creative things in the Southeast. And so they kind of asked me to do it because of kind of like the poet side, but also kind of uh, for the work that I did for On Beauty with Doc Waller. Around that same year, I had done a, I filmed a Shakespeare monologue on a railroad track and uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company picked it up and like featured it on their, um, on their website. And so that was a really big look. I'm like, okay, I kind of still got my chops, you know? And so that was uh, something that kind of like, I guess, added to the profile of what I was doing. And so around those, those moments, I I was on stage for the first time, not as a, not as a, a character. I wasn't performing. It wasn't theater. People were asking Doc Waller to come on stage and say something as himself. And it was like, wow, I got bitten by the theater bug 13 years ago, but now I get to address a crowd as myself. I got addicted to it. That was the, the first time I started realizing you know, what it was to create a voice, a professional voice, uh, entrepreneur-wise. Let's talk a little bit about the climb mm-hmm. there. That that progression is really interesting. Starting in, a lot of people think, oh, you know, I, I'm going to be a TED speaker one day. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be one of those people that gets paid to give motivational speeches mm-hmm. one day. Mm-hmm. But they don't see the journey that goes into that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just takes so much grit and patience and so much developing an eye for the opportunity that will get you to the next stage when the thing that you really want to do is four or five or an unknown number of stages away. <laughs> 100%, but it was, here's the most difficult thing. And this is where people, you know, I told myself I'm not going to start sentences like that. But you know what? Go ahead and let, go ahead and, and keep that in there because I want people to know that I'm correcting myself in that. Okay. Because I don't think it's worth saying this is where people get wrong. So, so maybe this, I'd rather say this is where people can correct themselves. Every professional move that, I, that I've ever made after deciding to drop out of Auburn University and go into the military, after going into the military, every professional or creative decision I made had some sort of attachment, association, relevance, or worth to my overall thesis, period. Which is what? Which is now adding to this conversation about ambition and personal identity and how we can address the realm of being human. I didn't know that (laughs) until 2014, 15. You know what I mean? And I didn't even know how to word it until six months ago, six, eight months ago. My point is, I didn't know it at all. 2002, three, four, five, six, seven, all the way up. But I knew that there was something. And so when someone would ask me to do something or I had an opportunity to do something, all I had to do was feel, does this relate to, to my overall thesis? And if it didn't, I, took, I said no or I turned away, or I went left. So many people, they say yes to what feels comfortable and, and what gives them kind of like a right-of-way opportunity, and it doesn't attach to what they feel their thesis is. 
A lot of people, a lot of people also they'll attach themselves to things that feel comfortable based on the the type of people they grew up around or went to school with just right. because it feels familiar and because it feels familiar, it feels right. Right. And so there's so many different webs. There's so many different kind of like fly traps uh, that are, that are placed along the road in life. And, and if we don't recognize whether or not these attach to this, to this thesis, it's, it's so weird. I just watched Revolutionary Road this morning. And what's, what's the girl's name in, in Titanic? Kate, um, I'll Google it. Um, it's not Kate Winslet, is yes, it? Yes, it is. It is. Okay, good. Kate, Score one for me, the guy who never <laughs> watches movies. There you go. Revolutionary Road, it was, it was a, a kind of like a horrific film. I, I, I told my mom, I literally called her this morning, I'm like, yeah, this might uh, jump up in my top 10 because it was such a, it was such a powerful film because her character, all her character wanted to do is, is force her husband to go after what he really wanted. She was just like, let's just quit your job and let's move to Paris because I know, I don't know what you want to do, but I know the job that you're in right now is not what you want to do. I can see it on your face. And he knew it, but he was just like fighting this like comfort. It, you know, it's not so much uh, knowing you know, you said, you said, you're saying and talk about the, tran the transitions, you know, and, and the, the different roads and the chapters to becoming this. I, I didn't know specifically what this was in my early decisions eight to 10 years ago. I just knew that it didn't associate and it wasn't relevant to, to this thesis that I was feeling. And so now I look back and I'm able to say, man, that thing that I did even certain things that I did in the Air Force or certain things that I did, you know, on stages or in workshops, or like all these small decisions, I said, oh, okay, I, those are relevant to what I'm doing now. You don't know what to do, what attempts to make or what jobs to make, you know, when you say you want to be a TED speaker in a couple of years, right? And you, you just really never know. Actually, no, I didn't know, but I almost did. And, and, here's, and here, here, this is what I mean by that. You don't know specifically. People will say, well, you, you don't know. You don't know if this is the right decision. But if you're really paying attention to yourself, we have this saying to where we, we tell ourselves, you never really know. You never know what's going to happen. So you might as well take this job or you might as well do this. But if you're really honest with yourself, if you really pull the curtain back on your ambition, on your soul, you know you know whether or not this is your thesis statement or not. Every good movie has a script. Every good basketball team has a playbook. And you know whether or not these professional or creative choices you're making actually associates or is relevant to your thesis, to your script, to your playbook. And if you say yes to the things that, are, that you feel are associated and relevant to, to your script, to your thesis, 15 years down the road, it's going to feel like a better book. It's going to feel like a better play. And I think that's where my wins have been. I can look at TEDx Atlanta, or I can look at On Beauty with Doc Waller, or I can look at, you know, some Shakespeare thing and say, oh, the thing that I did back in 2002 helped me do this because I was focusing on thesis. I was focusing on my personal and professional thesis. And as long as I stick to that, all it is, is time and stick-to-itiveness, period. For a lot of people that say, oh, I want to be a TEDx speaker, it's not really about being a TED speaker. It's right. really, when you peel the layers of that back, it's about doing something that feels like it's important to the people around you, or it's about being able to get a message about something that you're passionate about out. And when you peel those layers back and you recognize that, then you can actually go after opportunities that feel like that, even though you can't control the selection of TED speakers. Yeah. What's the underlying, like, I want to be a basketball player. I want to be an NBA. And that's a funny thing. I was really good at basketball as a kid. I was, I was really good. I spent a lot of time on it. The only thing I ever wanted to do up until the 10th grade was be in the NBA. But I knew nothing about weight gain. I knew nothing about uh, lifting weights. I knew nothing about kind of like physical discipline. My father wasn't an athlete. You know, my father loved playing the guitar. And, and most athletes come from what? Other athletes that are able to like show them like that, those, those bare necessities. And those bare necessities were the thesis. You know what I mean? If I knew anything about the thesis of an athlete, I probably could have played D1 ball. 
you have to figure out what those like bottom line underlying movements and choices and decisions that you have to make. I, I don't like shooting for titles. You know what I mean? I, I rather, I rather shoot for feelings, you know, cause I think there's, they, they have better stickiness to them. Definitely. Yeah. Let's talk about the period where you did on beauty mm -hmm. to the present. What has that journey looked like and, and what all have you done in various shapes and forms since then? And why? Why? What was the driving force behind everything you've done since then? The driving, the driving force was knowing, knowing that I wanted, I wanted to create voice. I wanted to establish voice. And I wanted it to impact people. I wanted, I wanted my biggest deposit in the world to be something that I, that I said something that came from me and something that I crafted. I wanted it to, to be a feeling that I crafted through visual mediums. Yeah. When you say impact, what do you mean by that? What types of people do you want to impact and what sort of things do you want to awaken them to? I, I could never say a, a, a type of person. Like, you know, if they're breathing, I want to hit them. And I'll be honest, you know, the, you said the, the, the type of things that I wanted to, to impact them on, that's what's changed year by year by year. One thing that I should mention is that when I left the theater in 2013, after TEDx, I got, I got another offer to do a play at the uh, theatrical outfit in downtown Atlanta. And that was a play about the Tuskegee Airmen. Went really, really well, was awesome. We won Best Ensemble for the, the Susie Awards. And, and after that play, I, uh, I went back to Auburn, Alabama, and I sat down with somebody that I thought could help me. And I had this outline of like this new ambition of mine. And I opened up my computer and showed her this portfolio and said, can you help me? She gave me money and gave me a warehouse. And that's where I started this kind of like post on beauty kind of movement. But the first things that I created there, <laughs> I look back and, I'm, and I, I say, it's, it's just horrible because I was playing the role. If I look back at the videos that I created, like I don't, I don't even know if I have the actual videos, but I have like screenshots of what I shot back then. I had a tie on and I was talking about, it, it almost felt like this B2B kind of creative studio message. Like I was, I was entrepreneur speaking to entrepreneur. And if I'm honest with myself now, that's so far from what I want to do now. It just feels like, man, I was playing the role. But you know what? I didn't know that then. I was just doing what, felt honest to me then. And that's the only way to get to where you want to go. Just create what feels honest and put it out into the world, get feedback on it, and be smart enough to realize whether it's shit or whether it's good. What I've been good at is putting stuff out there continually. The better you get at your craft, the less crap you put out there. The less often you put stuff out because you start to honor your work in a certain way because you, you have a better idea of what your work actually looks like, what your true work actually looked like. In 13, 14, I was just, let's edit, let's put it out, boom, 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 boom. So essentially, you know, the, the answer to the question, what, have I, what was I doing? What, what did that look like? It was just put stuff out. Put stuff out and, and listen to it as much as you possibly can and edit, edit, edit. And I, as a matter of fact, I have this, I have this picture of... Uh, these, these kind of like uh, dry erase boards in my, in my studio back in 2013 with all of these ideas. And if I zoom in on it, I can see kind of like some of these things that I said. And I'm like, oh man, that's where my head was back then. That wasn't even the name of my company then. I can see all of the different iterations of, of this idea. And so now you're back in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And what is the name of what you're working on? Doc and Company. And how did you, how did you, how did you settle? Because I watched you go through a few different <laughs> names for your projects over the years and they were all great names, but what ultimately led you to that one? That's funny because the creative in me, like the, the amateur professional in me or the amateur creative or the am, amateur entrepreneur would probably look at the, look at the, the linear uh, chapter of the names my company or my ambition has gone by and say, oh, the first one sounds better. Because that was getting, getting anti-gravity that like came from an Incubus song. <laughs> While I was running and listening to it, I was like, oh, that feels great. And that was actually like the title of my talk for TEDx. Then it became Becoming Possible. Which you wrote a, which you wrote a book about. Which I wrote a book about, which I'm really proud of. And then it became Honor the Day. And then it was just like slowing down 
being honest and just listening to the work and listening to like what's what does the picture look like if in in 15 years if there was a if there was a photo taken of what this ambition looks like if what what this all of this work looked like what would it look like doc and it, and i said oh it looked like me and like 30 other people that i've that i've touched 30 other people that i've that i've um benefited in via creative work media speaking engagements workshops whatever it is just them all all of us have a cup of coffee and we're just talking oh it's doc and company you know what i mean so not doc and his company but doc in the company of the people that he's affected positively people on the outside are like that's so avant-garde, really creative, Doc. It seems like it's the most simplistic, but actually, no, it's the most relevant. And it's the one that took me the hardest time and the longest time to actually get to. I completely understand that because one of the hardest things in the world for me to do is to do business under my own name. Yeah. I yeah. just don't want my work attached to all the ego that comes with calling it by my own name. So in a lot of ways, I think that docking company probably is one of the harder choices for a company name because it puts yeah. you on the line. You know, you're on the hook. There's nothing to hide behind. When, when you, and, and I, think the, I think one of the things that, that allows you to make the decision to attach your name to something um, is, is the integrity and the value of the work. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, you get to a point where it's like, you know what, this is me. And, and, and I am putting myself into, into this. And so, and, and, and also you want to take the risk because one of the things that's really healthy about that is like, okay, everything I need, everything I do under this better be of a certain quality, better be of a certain integrity and better be of a certain value because my name is attached to it. For the people that are listening to this mm -hmm. who maybe haven't tried to figure out what their thesis is or they haven't put a bunch of work out there and they're just fighting inside of themselves to figure out what they should do to even figure out what that work should be. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you would say to those people to help them find some solid ground to stand on moving forward and, and to just get them to try things? Hey, I really want to make sure that I, that's so scary valuable. You've got all the time in the world. <laughs> Thanks for the pressure. Joe. <laughs> no. um, I, I think you have to become a professional listener. And listening is not taking things in. Listening is, listening is what you do with those things. You know, um, it's almost like that, uh, that, that training day scene where Denzel's in the car with Officer Hoyt and he's like, yeah, you hear me, but you're not listening. I think a lot of people hear things um, and a lot of people listen, but I think this, find what your second stage of listening is. What's your second stage of listening? And that second stage of listening to yourself, to moments, to relationships, to occurrences, to opinions, to advice. I know people who listening is, it comes in and they do it. There's no filter between the advice they give and the actions they take. And then some people, they hear it and they never do it. They're professional advice takers. And it's not even so much that they actually want the advice. They just want, the, they want that feeling that they get from sitting down and having somebody actually um, care about them in the moment. Like they really don't want anything to do with the advice, right? So, so that's another example of a poor listener. If you really want to figure out what your thesis is, if you really want to figure out what you're doing, you have to, you have to start practicing at the action of listening, period. If, if I have a great conversation with somebody, I, I'm actively trying to process that over the next couple of weeks. If I'm walking to Publix, I'm taking that time. <laughs> I, I wish, I wish people, I wish there was like a, like a cinematic portrayal of my thought process because whenever I'm not, whenever I'm not working, I'm evaluating 
conversations that I've had. I'm eat or I'm, I'm playing them over my head and I'm trying to, I'm just like scanning them and saying, and, and it's not even, it's not even conversations that I've had in the past week. These are conversations that I've had years ago. And I'm just like, Oh, that's what she meant by that. Or, or Oh, that that's what real listening is like listening to your, 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 your past and listening to your past experiences. If you, if you're really open to that, your thesis will become clear. And, and when you take things in, whether it be a conversation that you're having today, advice, your history, a practical thing would be like every picture that you've taken, we're all in the, we're in the world of, we're in the world of taking photos every five seconds and putting them on Facebook. Go through every single one of your photos for the past seven years and tell me what you see. What if that was the future of Facebook? Okay, I, we want you to look back to every single photo you've ever been in for the past eight years and tell us what your thesis is. Every photo I've taken since I was 14 is actually on my phone mm -hmm. because I sucked it all into iCloud photo library. So yeah. I can see everything that I've ever cared about mm -hmm. because as long as I've been a photographer, everything I've ever cared about winds up in a photo or a screenshot. And guess what else? And guess what else? Guess what else ends up in a photo or a screenshot? The things that we pretend we care about, right? The, the things we think we care about. And, and sometimes you, we can look back at something and say, you know what? I, I don't feel honest about that now. Whatever, whatever equates to a photo, that could be an email. You know what I mean? It can be a conversation. It can be something that happens, you know, whatever equates to a photo or like, or advice or anything that, anything that you can pull from, anything that you can pull color and intent and, 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 and thought from, that's listening. Stop depositing for a while and, and just zoom out. I, I, can't, I can't remember the, 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 the first time I, I heard that phrase. Like someone said that, someone said it in like, a, in like a conversation maybe like a year and a half, two years ago. And I'm just like, sometimes, sometimes you know, words in songs or like words in films or phrases in films stick out to me. And I, and I write it down. I'm just like, there's something about that. And someone said, zoom out. Like th that's the answer to your, to your question, Joe. Wait, you want to know how you find your thesis? Zoom out. Stop getting so close to things and zoom out and look at things and start to really listen in a more active way. And that's how you find out what you want to do, who you really are, and, and where you... And, and another thing, another thing is it's like, you want, to, you want to figure out what your thesis isn't? How many things are we doing right now that we don't want to be doing a year from now? You know, like how many things are we investing our time and love into that we aren't willing to invest our time and love into five years from now? And if we start to really think about that, <laughs> we'll start to say, you know what, uh, you got to go. This has to stop. We need to change this now. And, and when we start to shuffle all of those things in our, in our environment away then we get closer and get more room and more clarity to start seeing what our thesis is. There are a lot of people who have too, too many false things in their, in their personal environment to where seeing their, they don't have enough room to see their thesis. They don't have enough clarity or, or quietness to, to figure out what that thesis is. In that sense, you being an MC for NASCAR mm -hmm. is more directly connected to your purpose than a lot of their photo taking photo posting on Instagram, humble bragging is connected to their purpose or their thesis. Yeah. I, I don't, yeah, it was, it, 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 it wasn't a detour. You know, the only real detour I've ever taken, I, I became a personal trainer. I became like a, 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 I had two, I had two nationally certified NCCA uh, personal training certifications. And I started working at a gym and, and I made some money and I got a little comfortable. You know, I felt I looked better than I ever did. I, I was in great shape. I was making some money. I just love the environment. And I was just like, yeah, this is not my thesis. And you want to know why I knew it was my, not my thesis? I was there for almost a year and I saw this audition for Stomp. You know what Stomp is? Oh, yeah. And so I went up to New York. I took my time out. I took like a, a couple days out. I went up to New York to audition for Stomp. 
And I thought that I was where I thought that I was still in that zone. I thought that I could pick right up and go back into that theater zone. Man, they smoked me. It was a week-long audition. I came in on the first day and I was drumming. I, I did the, the drumming and like kind of the steps that they choreographed. And I, and I was so good that day that they said, just come back Friday, right? When, and and what, what I didn't really grasp on Friday was like, oh, that's when the badasses show up, right? And so, and so let me tell you, I walked in there and they had these, these cans and these trash cans and all these things circled in front of this guy. And they had this wall behind him it was like a gate and they had they had pots and pans on the on the on the gate behind him and so he they 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 tell you to do this beat and he starts to drum this beat out and all the things in front of him he leans back without looking and does the same beat on the wall behind him on the pots and pans and at that moment i'm like oh i don't belong here (laughs) that very moment i was like oh i've been on a detour for the last year I was tripping over myself. I was, these people blew me out of the water. And that's when I realized, oh, if you want to do something, you have to be working in the thesis of it. You have to be in the right realm of it. And these people wake up and do it every single day. How dare I think that I could come from working in a gym for a year and come up here and compete with Broadway stompers? Are you kidding me? I told myself, if I ever try to attempt anything big like this, I will be in the thesis of it. I have to cherish being in, being in the through line of things, being the thesis. And that's why, that's why I'm good at no. That's why I'm good at, good at turning my cheek to, to things that are very comfortable. And I've had to make choices that allow me to, to do that. Yes, it's very lonely. Yes, I've been single for a very long time. Yes, I want to have kids. I want to have, that's like, that's like my pinnacle to have kids and to have a family, but I can't do it right now because, because it won't allow me to move in my thesis. You know what I mean? And, and, and it doesn't mean that only single people without kids can move in their thesis, right? You just have to figure out what that plan of action is to allow yourself to move to move in that thesis. So, and you have to be honest about what your thesis is. You can't look at an interview like this and say, Oh, I need to be single for a long time and pour everything I've got into making something like doc does. Right. You know, if, if what you really want is a safe job and a career and kids and a wife and a house in the suburbs or to rent an apartment in the city or whatever, you know, you just need to be honest with yourself about what that is first. Right. And that's your version of getting good. And that's all fine. That's all perfectly legitimate. It's just as legitimate as what we're doing. 100%. And that's another, that's another reason why, that's another reason why I kind of changed what I was doing from, from 2013 to this, because 2013, I was like, I was like praising this world of entrepreneurship. Like it was like, like it was like, like it's an idol. I feel like that's that's such a damaging thing and it's such a popular thing and it's an easy thing to do because you know, you have an audience of people who are going to listen to it. It's such, it's such crap (laughs) it's such crap joe like because you don't have to preach it to the people who are already doing it and the people who aren't doing it aren't doing it for a reason most of those people that most people don't need to be entrepreneurs and they're going to be okay and they'll be happy right And and it would be okay it would be okay if we entrepreneurs didn't see ourselves as if it was like the real realm of professionalism like everything else is fake do you understand what how awesome it is to support someone else in there to be a part of an awesome team? Mm-hmm. And and the only reason I say that is because I don't I don't want to speak what I do I don't want to speak to that realm anymore. Like I don't want to speak to entrepreneur. I just want to speak to people, right? I happen to be an entrepreneur because that's what it takes to get this company off the ground. Right. Doc and company is not about professionals. It's about people. I feel like there are just as many people who are not entrepreneurs who could consume your content and realize they need to become entrepreneurs as there are people who are entrepreneurs who could consume it and come to a conclusion that being an entrepreneur is not what they want to do and that it's not aligned with their thesis. Exactly. I am not creating this company to speak to professionals. That realm is too limited to me. I like, all I want Doc and Company to be is the most thoughtful, creative glossary of human experiences ever. 
I can visualize people coming to our website in two years and literally there's just a, there's an input field and all they do is type in an emotion and they hit enter and all this content comes up. That's all I want it to be. I want, I want policemen and teachers and construction workers and dancers and poets to be able to go to Doc and Company and find some sort of relevant content or engagement or product that has something to do with some emotion that they've had or some circumstance or experience that they've had over the years. When I get to that point, when Doc and Company is that like human glossary of emotions and experiences, I win. That's what I'm building. You're building, you're building a perpetual empathy machine. Right. And a, um, a culture machine. So, so you're basically building something that helps people understand themselves and the people around them. 100% man. That's, that's it. I want, I think about the barriers that that can break down. Like, and it sounds so weird, but like, it's almost like a modern day old school scholastic feel as effective as Mr. Rogers, like the way that Sesame Street kind of like made you see other people. I don't, I don't even know. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting into like creative realm here, but like. Nobody questions the thesis of Sesame Street. It's 100% clear. Exactly. No one questions the value or maybe we do. Maybe we do t- uh, uh, take it for granted, you know? And so I, I want to be, I want to be the company that can't be taken for granted, period. That's, that's the, that's the goal of what I'm trying to make here. Yeah, thank you for, for allowing me to like hash that out live on. <laughs> yeah. That's what we're here for. I think there's something to be said for putting the hashing out into the public eye so that yeah. people can see that it's not just a miraculous event where Doc was walking down Broadway one day and all of a sudden the entire vision for Doc and Company coalesced around him and then the wind blew and a bunch of money swirled out of a sewer grate and swirled around you and into your wallet and gave you all the resources you need as if it were like some sort of event. It's not, it's a process. It's a long process. I'll be even more transparent or or I'll I'll be even more um, vulnerable in that moment as, as an entrepreneur, like creating this company that scares me. There's some moments where I almost get offended when no one says it. No one emails this to me. No one says it to me. But in the back of my mind, I get almost, I get like metaphorically offended or like secretly offended of the thought of the thought of someone thinking that this came out of nowhere one day. Because I I do feel like there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a portion of the people that follow me that kind of semi follow me. And at some point, the the resources that I need are going to come in. At some point, that piece of content or that, that, that portfolio of content that I really need to make to tell people, to make people say, oh, damn, this is what he meant. That's coming. I know it. I know it's coming. And, and sometimes I get secretly offended, Bruno, but just as a, as a professional, that someone's going to email me and say, like, you made it or, or you got your big break. I have to get over that. That's a me thing. That's, that's my fault. That defensiveness, that's all me. People don't see the process that leads up to that. And that's sort of why I'm doing this show is to give people a little bit of context for the journey that people have to go through just to become who they are and become the, the person that they're known as in the public eye. They don't see the, they don't see the bus rides. They don't, see, they don't see the taxis. They don't see the moments where I don't have enough money and I have to walk to meetings. They don't see the months where my power is out in my studio and I'm sleeping on the concrete floor. They don't, they, they don't see that. And you, wouldn't, and you wouldn't change it for the world either, Not right? You know, because it got you where you are. Not a second. Yeah, not, not a second because it, it's, it's, it's part of the story. And, and for some reason, you just have to trust that the process is, is, is making you go through this for a reason. It's that type of emotion and value that I'm, that I'm going to be able to put in my content in a couple of years. You know what I mean? In my early 20s, I would walk around and in, in this bitterness, mm-hmm. I would say by the time I'm 30, this, and by the time I'm 30, that. And I made it to 30. And I was reflecting on all of this and I realized, wow, everything that I consciously said, I'm going to have this, mm-hmm. I'm going to accomplish this, I'm going to do this. Every bit of it came true because mm-hmm. I consciously was aware of it. But I guess subconsciously, I just kept taking the steps that it took to get there. 
Mm. Mm -hmm. And that experience of looking back and saying, wow, all that stuff I said I'd do and all the little steps and missteps and attempts and failures and everything. Um, that is actually what gave me the idea to do this show because I'd never really had a reason to want to do a show like this before myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but that feeling made me feel like, all right, well, maybe I could get a bunch of people together and, and try to make something with them that shows this whole process the way it is. Yes. It's miserable sometimes and you Mm -hmm. don't know why, Mm -hmm. but as long as you're constantly looking for the next right step, however small it is, and you take that instead of shying away from it or being afraid of it, then it will actually get you where you're going, or yeah. where, where you're meant to go. Those small steps, those like, and it's not so much, it's not so much the statement of saying by my 20s or by my 30s or by my 40s. It's, right. it's, it's just the intent behind it. Like it's at least acknowledging and taking a moment out of your data to say something there's so much value in that. That's like laying, that's like laying the track. And it's a hundred percent taking responsibility for it. Even if you can't control every outcome and every aspect of it, Mm -hmm. even if you can't control when it happens, you're still taking a conscious responsibility for what you do and what you put in. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, you know, people, you know, should really, especially young adults, like take, take pride in, 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 in doing scary shit early. And, and, and risk, risk it all, risk it all while you can, you know, lay that track. What's your take on busyness? Because I feel like there are a lot of people that keep themselves busy just Mm -hmm. to stay distracted from their unhappiness. And I feel like there are a lot of people that stay busy because they're focused on what they want to do. What, what would you say to the former group of people? Go to bed. That's what I would say. Like that's, that's one of my one of the phrases that, that I've kind of like fallen in love with that just like kind of personally has guided me over the past, like three to four years in in the professional realm, because what, what I thought, what I thought being a professional was what I thought being a really powerful creative was, was just working until your head hit the keyboard. I thought the best thing to do was to post or to tweet about how busy I was. It's so corny. It's just like now the second, the second I yawn and you know what that yawn is. There's a, <laughs> there's a yawn. There's a yawn that you had because you're grooving. Right. And, and you're really working and you're like, and, and all it is, it's like, okay, let me get another cup of coffee because I'm in my, I'm in my zone. We got to keep going. Let me just put some music on. Cause we're vibing. Right. Then there's a yawn that says, take your ass to bed. Seriously. Right. And, For sure. and it can be at nine 30. It can be at 11 30. It can be at 1230. But the moment you do that, it, it's just like, okay, stop being ignorant and stop trying to, to work the professional realm and just be human. Because what's better is that you wake up at 530, 6, 7 with that fresh mind. And then you open up the keyboard and realize what you were typing at 1230 and say, what the hell is that? those three sentences make no sense whatsoever. You know what I mean? Then you start to realize, oh, you know what? It's not about busyness. It's not about like, you know, stacking up days of busyness. It's like stacking up days of really good zones. If you can get an hour or two of a really good work zone, like I had a really good work zone yesterday. So I took some time off and I watched Revolutionary Road, woke up and finished it. And I didn't stress it. And here's the thing about it. We're in this realm of like professionals finding the time to like grind and stuff and and work, work, work. If you're not watching movies, if you're not going to the park, if you're not hanging out with your friends in your professional realm, you're not getting good work done. You know why? Because if you actually were getting good work done, you would be honest with yourself. You know what? I earned going to hang out with my friends. Mm -hmm. I earned going to the damn movies. So that's what we should actually be shooting for. It's not about, oh, I just passed out or, oh, I just, I worked until 11 and woke up at five. Tell me what you rewarded yourself with and tell me that you actually earned it. You're like, I want to see you fishing. I want to see you going to hike. If I see that and see something that you created and posted three days ago and it's awesome, I'm like, that dude's working because he created that and he's over at the pond fishing. You know, like that's what we should be celebrating. Not the guy who has like, like look like he's dead. Like, I don't want to see that. I want to see, sometimes we fall in and out of like knowing these truths, 
And so, and as of recently, you know, there's some um, entrepreneurs that I kind of like follow uh, uh, kind of on social media. They're running businesses and, so, and, and I'm just like, I see them on vacation or whatever. And I see them like kind of going to concerts and stuff like that. And, and for, for a moment, I'm just like, damn, shouldn't you be running your business? But I'm like, hold up. No, they should be vacationing because you know what? If they don't deserve it, their companies will fail. But guess what? I don't think they are. I think their companies are actually going to survive because I feel like they're smart enough. And if they actually didn't know, you know what I mean? If, if, if they actually, you know, were at a point to where it didn't make sense, they probably wouldn't do it. And I don't know. And guess what? What I don't see are those meetings or those, those two hour crunches where they jam that stuff in and they're in their zones. You know what I mean? People don't post their, their work zones they're, they're like really great grooves of working. You know why? Because they're f-ing working. Mm-hmm. They post the vacation because that's, when, that's what you're supposed to post. That's when they have time to open Instagram and post a photo. Right, right. The flip side of that is that the amateurs fall in love with that. The amateurs only see that. The people who have, have learned and, 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 and have, have wrapped their heads around the truth behind professionalism see the work behind that. So when I see Sophia Armoroso or anybody that running these companies, you know, Ty Hanley from Outdoor Voices or like any of these like badass entrepreneurs, when I see them like chilling on the road with the Jeep down and their Instagram, I say, I need, to, I need to get to work. Mm. I need to get to that point to where I'm grooving enough to, to earn that. Yeah. It's a process of understanding busyness. Busyness is not ours. Busyness is quality. Busyness is effectiveness. That's what real good busyness is. As a matter of fact, I'm, like, as a matter of fact, let's not even call it busyness. Like busy, busyness is crap. We need, a, we need a new word for quality work. Mm-hmm. Um, the work, that, the work that earns time off. Like, what is that? What's the name for that, you know? Yeah. Anybody listening to this, why don't you guys shoot Joe an email and, 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 and give us some suggestions so we can figure out what that word That's is. That's perfect, because I was going to ask you if you had a question that you wanted to ask anybody who, who's listening to this. So. Um, yeah, let me ask another question. Let me ask. Go for it. Um, you, can ask a, you can ask a couple if you want. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. One of my favorite things when, I, when I'm really working, kind of like more, more of the comical, quirky things about being a professional or entrepreneur that's really trying to, <clears throat> trying to get a company off the ground, the amount of time it takes, sometimes kind of enjoying yourself. And, 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 and uh, like I said, you have the moments where you reward yourself, where you earn it, right? You earn taking time off to watch a movie. And sometimes you know you don't, right? So you have to kind of watch the same thing over and over and over again and sometimes instead of like playing music in my studio i replay the same tv series over like on a on an off computer or like on my phone and i'll prop it up and i watch the walking dead and orange is the new black over (laughs) and over and over again like i i i can literally say every line of every single episode of every single season of both of those shows so what i want to know is what album or movie or TV show do you professionals have playing in the background as you're working? Like, what's your, what's your ambient noise uh, content that you have playing while you're creating? Like, Casey Neistat is the godfather. He has a TV in his studio that constantly plays the godfather. Like, what are you guys constantly playing just to, like, almost make it feel like you're rewarding yourself, but you're not because you've seen it a thousand times? Right. <laughs> <laughs> what's that tool i think for me lately it's been uh, john mayer's born and raised album Ooh, that's one that's one album of his that like that i feel like i have to earn i, I need to get tickets because because that's one of his later ones yeah I think. that's that's kind of after he almost lost his voice and he bought a ranch out in montana and just yeah that's when he like kind of calmed mm-hmm. down a little bit yeah and I need to, Born and Raised is one that I've looked at like a couple of months ago. I'm like, ooh, you know what? I need to take a day with that album yeah. because people, people have a lot of good things to say about that album. Uh, for me, in terms of John Mayer, that's funny you mentioned that. It's, it's heavier mm-hmm. things. 
it's heavier things and like his earlier stuff that I can just play on repeat. But I, I need to earn born and raised a little bit more like that. It's funny that you, it's funny that you say that. Cause like I can visually say, okay, well, yeah, that's one where I, I got to get to, you know? Yeah. So that and Dave Matthews earlier stuff, I play that all the time too, you know? So awesome. So yeah. people, if you're listening to this, I'll put a form on the page where this is on the website and you can just go and drop in your name and the album that you listen to on loop or movies or movies, <laughs> or or movies, movies. Or TV we'll, shows. we'll put yeah. a list together of all of them. <laughs> Thanks so much man. for this conversation, doc. I really appreciate it. Of course, dude. I, I, I love getting a chance to start my Sunday with some good, uh, creative banter, man. This awesome. Is awesome. Awesome. Take care guys.